The scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Let's go to our Father in heaven, please. Dear Lord, we are thankful to be in your presence this morning. We're thankful to be in the presence of the creator of the universe and our Lord and our Savior. Father, we're just so thankful that we have the opportunity to come together, gather as brothers and sisters and and sing songs to you and hear a lesson from your word and, and to read scripture and to commune with you. And we're able to do this, Father, in a, in a place where there is little fear that anything will happen to us. And we're thankful for that, Father. But we're also mindful that we have brothers and sisters across this, across this world that are not so blessed, Father. And we ask that you would continue to be with them and to give them strength and uh, fortitude not only to spread the gospel in, in, in those countries, but to also continue to stand for you and to, to uh, worship you. Father, we, as we come before you this morning, we know that there are those among us that are, are sick, and we ask that you would bless them and be with them. Father, we're, we're thankful for the news about Scott and that he's been able to leave the hospital, and we just ask that you be, be with him as he continues to recoup and recover. But we also are mindful this morning of Sandy Eves and, and her upcoming appointments, Father, and we just ask that you would bless her and give her comfort and, and be with the medical professionals that are tending to her, Father. And we're also mindful of Corey this morning, Father, and his continued recovery and, and the long uh, recovery process that he has, and we just ask that you would be with him and give him strength, be with the medical professionals that are tending to him as well, Father, and we also ask that you would just continue to give comfort to the family and give them strength as they encourage him in his, in his recovery. There are others on our hearts and minds, Father, that we may not be aware of, and we would just ask that you would be in those situations and help us as Christians to reach out to them, to encourage them, and to, to offer comfort. There are those among us, Father, that are, are dealing with other things, Father, that are internalized, whether it be just broken relationships, whether it be uh, just stresses and worries or, or sins that we're struggling with, Father. And we just ask that you would be with us and help us to realize as we are saying that, that Jesus has already won that battle for us, Father, and, and help us to, to give those worries and those concerns over to you and to lean on you and to trust you, Father. Again, Father, we're just thank, thankful that we're able to gather here and we ask that as we enter in this worship service and continue that the things that are said and done in our hearts will be a blessing to you, Father, and that, that you'll be well pleased with us. Continue with us as we uh, finish this service, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're uh, using your hymn book this morning and you'd like to mark the song of encouragement, 
Uh, it will be number 454, uh, Nothing But the Blood. 454, Nothing But the Blood will sing after, uh, after Andy's lesson, after Preacher Andy's lesson. Uh, before uh, Andy comes to give us the message, we're going to sing, uh, Come Thou Fount, Come Thou King. Uh, it's in the praise hymnal. I'll be on your screen. Let's all stand, please. We'll sing all three verses of this, of this song. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore Thee. May I still Thy goodness prove. While the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is also with me. And I'll never be alone. Come thou fount, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace. Hear your bride, to you we sing, come thou fount of our blessing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee. Never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thou fount, come thou king. Come thou precious Prince of Peace, hear your bride to you we sing. Come thou fount 
of our blessing. Good morning. It's good for us to be here. Glad that we can be together and worship our God this morning. Want to uh, make sure and we thank uh, the folks that have been working for uh, Vacation Bible School. As it's already been mentioned, that starts uh, next Monday, having a day camp. If you have any questions about that, there's information in the bulletin about that. But if you have a young person especially who can come and be a part of our Vacation Bible School, we really hope that you will do that. I do want to say thank you to the teenagers and thank you to Rachel and Jesse who have come uh, just about every day uh, this past week setting up uh, the decorations in the hallway and also in, in the gym and we're so thankful for them. I have never been a part of a congregation in all my years of being in the church where they canceled vacation Bible school prep days because they didn't need them. I've been where, you know, weather or some disaster has happened and we had to cancel vacation Bible school prep days, but I've never been anywhere where they canceled them because the work got done early. Uh, so praise God for that and thank you for those teens and Rachel and Jesse and leading that effort. We're certainly thankful for that. Also, want to let you know, just to make sure you're aware of this, uh, those 70 people that are coming, they got to eat. And uh, we're in charge of feeding them. So I know ladies' ministry has taken one of those, and also the men's ministry has taken one of those uh, meals on next Monday and Tuesday, I believe. And there's a couple other ones. There are sign-up sheets that we desperately need you to sign up for because they don't want what I'm going to cook for 70 people. Okay, so uh, please make sure that you sign up and bring uh, just a little bit here and there, and we'll make sure that we get them fed and taken care of. This morning as we begin our, or continue our series through the book of Mark and thinking about who is this Lord we love, I want you to know God wants what's best for you. God wants what's best for you. Now maybe you've said that to your child recently, or maybe when you were a child your parents said, I just want what's best for you. And in my experience, usually what happens next is it means you can't do that. And I just want what's best for you. But honestly and truly, God not, not only wants what's best for you, God wants the best for you. God wants in your life the best for you. Now we may, in our, in our struggle and our desire and our, our effort to conform our mind to God's mind, we, the things that we think are best versus the things that God thinks are best may be in conflict sometimes. In Matthew chapter 6, you'll remember there when Jesus talks about, don't worry about all these things that you think are important. Seek me and all the things that you need. I'll give to you. I'll provide those things to you. God has promised us that. In Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He goes on to promise that he'll provide for them not only rest, but purpose. And in that purpose, he'll provide for them help. And as it was read to us earlier in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to kill and to destroy, but I came, Jesus came to this world so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. That means God wants us to have a life worth living. Not the life the world offers. Not the standard the world offers. God wants us to have a life worth living. And yes, sometimes that means that we won't get to live according to the world's standards or the world's teachings on whatever issue it may be. In our progress through Mark, we're starting in Mark chapter 10 uh, this morning, and we're talking about uh, a difficult subject. So I hope that you will uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 with me. I hope that if you normally don't turn in your Bibles, when the preacher says turn in your Bibles, I hope today you will turn in your Bibles 
to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some black books on the pew in front of you. And Mark chapter 10 starts on page 845. So if you'll turn in that book to page 845 or turn in your own copy of the the scriptures uh, to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 2 through 12. Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 12. And I want you to, I'm not going to, we're going to say a lot of other things. But I want you to hear this. On the, on the subject today, I don't want us to come short of what Jesus says, and I don't want us to go beyond what Jesus says. That's always a good, good plan. But certainly today, that's going to be my effort and my aim, is to, to not go beyond what Jesus says, and to not come short of what Jesus says. Mark chapter 10, we'll read verses 2 through 12. I'm going to read it through twice, because I want you to hear what Jesus says. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 2. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him. They're trying to trap him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Well, let's stop there for just a second. Uh, Why are they questioning him, testing him and asking him about divorce, asking him about marriage and divorce? Because it's always been a difficult topic. It's not just a difficult topic today. It's not just something that's uh, confrontational today or very personal today. It's always been something that has been a confrontational difficult past difficult situation because it's deeply personal so that's why they're testing him it was true then and it's true now jesus says in verse three he answered them and said to them what what did moses command you they said to him moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce to his wife and send her away but jesus said to them because of the hardness of your heart he wrote you this commandment but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again, and he said to them, he said to them, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband, and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 2. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. This morning, what I want you to think about is this is a controversial topic in our world today. Sometimes with even in uh, religious circles today, maybe even within the church today, because it's personal, not because it's difficult to understand. The teachings on marriage and divorce and that relationship and remarriage, if there were to be that, the teachings on this are some of the clearest in all of the Bible. It's not controversial because it's hard to understand. It's controversial because... It's deeply personal. Because you may be in a situation that addresses this topic. Because you know some loved ones who are in a situation that is related to this topic. Notice in Matthew chapter 19. Turn over there to that similar passage. Matthew chapter 19. 
Notice the disciples' response to this teaching in verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. We're picking up right after Jesus has taught the the Pharisees this and they've gone to the side and Jesus is now just with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, it says, The disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let, them, let him accept this. The disciples are shocked by Jesus' teaching. And they say, if this is the way the, the, the marriage relationship is, if, if, I, if that's the only reason that the, the divorce is supposed to happen, then it's better not to marry. Now, we would think that's, it's kind of shocking that they responded that way. The reason they responded in such a, a shocking way, a, a, a radical way, is because what Jesus had taught them was shocking and radical to them. That was something new. That was something they didn't realize. That was not the way they lived. And these are, these are religious people. These are followers of Jesus, who before being followers of Jesus were followers of the old law. These were not just people out in the world who had no idea about what Jesus said or what was supposed to be going on. They were shocked by Jesus' radical teaching and therefore their response of, if that's the way it is, it's better not to get married. That's maybe somewhat shocking to us. Benjamin Franklin, in 1736, that's almost 300 years ago, was in the city of Philadelphia. And during that time, they were having problems with uh, fires spreading throughout the city. Uh, and, and Benjamin Franklin, almost 300 years ago, made this statement. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. What he was telling them, these uh, people in the city of Philadelphia, is, hey, it's, it's easier to prevent a fire than it is to fight a fire. So be careful about your lamps. Be careful about your lanterns. Be careful about what you put around them so that you can prevent a fire because once the fire starts, it's much more difficult to put a fire out than it is to simply not start a fire. This morning, it would have been pretty easy for me, honestly, to teach this lesson tonight when less of you would have been here. It would have been easy for me to to maybe just skip this passage completely. Because I know that this is a difficult subject for some of us. But the reason we're talking about it, first of all, is because Jesus talks about it. So that's important. But also because, maybe more importantly for those of you who aren't married yet. Teenagers, kids, young adults who are single, older adults who are single. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Let's talk first about the ounce of prevention The Jews in Jesus' day, the first century Jews, they had a problem. And we haven't as a country or a nation or maybe even a people, maybe even mankind, we we haven't, but we need to learn from their mistake. The Jews were not treating marriage as an honorable thing. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Everyone is supposed to hold marriage up as an honorable thing, but the Jews were not doing that. Instead, they were treating it as something that could be changed or discarded for any reason and at any time. And the main thrust of this, men, the main thrust of this was that their men were not presenting the sacrificial love of Jesus as a husband, as we read about in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. The men were the ones in their culture who had all the power in the marriage. 
The men in their culture were the ones who had all the authority to, to end the marriage at any given time. And their men were not being the sacrificial husbands that they were supposed to be. When we think about this idea of who is this Lord we love, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I'm going to read it again through twice. But Jesus proclaims to them, and he proclaims to us today, 20 centuries later, Jesus proclaims to them that God's standard, you notice what he said. He said, from the beginning of creation, it was not that way. From the beginning of creation, God had a standard. And Jesus proclaims to them that that standard did not change to meet social norms or religious compromise. No. One man and one woman joined together in marriage for life has always been God's plan for marriage. It was true for the Jews. It was true for the Gentiles. It was true in the first century. It's true in the 21st century. God, Jesus, proclaims to them, and what we learn about this Lord that we love is that he, and therefore we, should not compromise to meet social norms or religious compromise. Marriage, as you who are married know, and as you who are not married need to know and be reminded of, marriage is a lifelong commitment broken only by adultery or ended only in death, Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. And because of that, marriage is something that we should not take lightly and should not be entered into half-heartedly. When I do premarital counseling with folks, and there are probably at least a couple of folks here that I've done premarital counseling even to the time I've been here, I tell every couple that I premarital counsel, the best time to get a divorce is before you get married. The best time to figure out what the problems are, what the issues might be once you live together and you're married in that special union, let's figure that stuff out now so that we don't have to worry about it later. And if there's something that is a deal breaker, let's figure that out now before you get married rather than waiting to figure it out after you get married. The best time to get a divorce is before you get married. There's much less baggage and difficulty that way. It's far better to take an ounce of prevention rather than a pound of cure. So again, let me clearly state, and I hope you hear this, if you're not married, if you're not married, if you're not married, if you do get married one day, God's plan for your marriage is for you and your spouse to remain married till death do you part. That's God's plan for marriage, God's standards for marriage, and it has always been that way. But what about that pound of cure? You see, this is not a, a new difficulty that Christians have faced. The Jews of the first century had a problem with this. Can you imagine the problem the Gentiles had? If the Jews had a problem with not honoring marriage, can you imagine what the people in those, those pagan nations who didn't have the standard of God's plan for marriage, the struggles that they had? Can you think about those Christians in Corinth and those Christians in Ephesus and those Christians in Colossae and Philippi and Rome who, who were people who were in, in messy marital situations and they came to Jesus and they learned about what God's plan was for marriage? And they had to figure that out. This is not a new plan. This is not, not a new struggle. This is not something that is new to us or unique to us in our marriage. Today, however, cultures that have honored marriage in the past and those that have perhaps never held marriage in honor have to address this standard in their own marriages and in their own faith. Now today, perhaps even here, you find yourself, you find your marriage at odds with Jesus' teaching. What now? Let me suggest three things to you this morning. Number one, 
While there are some biblical examples of unlawful marriages ending, there are no specifics on how to handle repenting of an adulterous marriage. There are at least two prime examples in the Old Testament of unlawful marriages ending. But the details of how do you work that out? How do you make that work? How do, how do you to make sure everybody's taken care of? The how-to of ending even an adulterous relationship is simply just not given within the Bible. Number two, followers of Christ. If that's you this morning, followers of Christ are commanded to no longer live in sin. You remember Romans chapter 6, right? The beginning of that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be. How who we who have died to sin continue to live in it. Christians, we're supposed to be striving to do our best to align ourselves with God's will and with God's word, with God's standard. And number three, even when Jesus extends mercy and grace to people that he interacts with, to sinners that he interacts with, his expectation is always, as he clearly states multiple times, that they will go and sin no more. That's what he specifically says to the woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. He extends mercy to her. He extends grace to her. But his expectation is that she will go and sin no more. And the same is true for us today. What I want you to understand by that is, while God's grace is sufficient, and we're thankful for that, God's grace is sufficient. It is not meant to cover actions we simply choose not to change. Did you hear me? God's grace is all-sufficient, but it is not meant to cover actions we simply choose not to change. God's grace covers the unintended mistake, the weakness of the flesh, but not the willful rejection of God's will. You can read that specifically in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. God's grace covers the unintended mistake or weakness of the flesh, but not the willful rejection of God's will. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we continue to think about the, the what now, perhaps this morning, maybe in, maybe in this room, certainly with people that we know in this room, we probably know someone, very likely a family member, a friend, a co-worker, who's in a relationship that according to Jesus' teaching, perhaps they ought not be in. What now? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's read verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. That's what we're talking about. Nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Again, let me emphasize to you this morning that as difficult as that situation is in, as difficult as it is to, to be in a, 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 an unlawful, an adulterous marriage, there were Christians in the first century who were in those marriages and they figured it out. They figured it out and they followed Jesus. Again, marriage, divorce, and remarriage are controversial topics because they're deeply personal. This morning, I hope that if you're in that state, I sincerely hope you don't feel like I'm trying to attack you. That is not my intent. However, Scripture teaches us that adultery is sin. And Jesus taught us today that sometimes we can find ourselves even in a married relationship that is adulterous. Again, this morning, if this is you, hearing those words may make you feel like you're not in the right place or that you and your family are not welcome here. 
Please hear me say, nothing could be further from the truth. Listen again to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Again, that means that there were Christians who had committed the sin of adultery who were in the church at Corinth. They figured it out. It was messy. It was difficult. Tears were shed and it was a horrible situation. But they loved Jesus enough to figure it out so they could follow him. This morning, no matter where you find yourself in your marriage or with any other, as many other sinful circumstances, this is exactly where you need to be. Through Jesus, there's a way forward, a what's next, an opportunity to do the right thing for everyone involved. It may not be the easy thing. As a matter of fact, I would say it would not, will not be an easy thing. But we all have the opportunity to address everything that affects our relationship with God. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for marriage. Lord, we want to, as a people, as a congregation, as your church, and individually, we want to honor marriage. We have people in this room who have been married for decades and decades. We thank you for them. We thank you for the fact that in the midst of difficulty, they made it through it. In the midst of failure, they forgave. Lord, we we hold them in honor and we hold marriage in honor. Lord, there are some here who are newly married and they're figuring it out just like we all are. And Lord, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that they have committed their lives to one another, God. Lord, I pray that you will bless them and help them to love one another until death do they part. God, we have some here this morning who are in difficult situations, not not the most ideal situations in their marriage. Lord, I pray that all of us, and no matter what sin we may find ourselves in, all of us will love you enough to figure it out and to follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And Lord, as we go, help us to sin no more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, again, maybe, maybe today's lesson has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean anything to you. Maybe you're not married and you're not planning on it. Okay, that may be the easiest thing. Remember, there, it, was a radical, it was a radical teaching, but Jesus said, hey, there's some wisdom there. Paul says when he talks about marriage that I wish all people would remain as, as I am, Paul says. And he's talking about the fact that he was single. And the idea that you can uh, re- re- declare and, and dedicate your life more to God when you're in a situation like that. So that's something to think about. But in some ways, probably this lesson does affect you in some form or fashion, whether in the here and now or perhaps in the future. Whether this lesson does or this specific sin does, I know all of us struggle with sin because I know none of us are perfect. And if this morning, if you find yourself not as a Christian, someone who hasn't declared their, their life to Jesus, hasn't named him as Lord, hasn't been baptized into him for the remission of your sins, do you know in your life, if you're not a Christian this morning, that you've done some things that you know are wrong? And maybe even specifically, you've done some things that you know Jesus and God and the Word and the, his word has told us are wrong. Well, you may need the forgiveness of your sins, and you get that in baptism. If you're willing to name Jesus as your Lord because you believe that he's the resurrected son of God and you are willing to uh, com- commit to him and be baptized into him, all of your sins can be washed away. You can raise and walk a, a new life, have a right relationship with God, and you can be made 
righteous. If that's you this morning, we encourage you to do what is necessary to make your relationship right with Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning and you find yourself in whatever situation it is that's sinful or wrong, well, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us what we as Christians need to do in order to receive forgiveness. We confess our sins to God and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of those sins. You can do that right this second, right where you're sitting. You can do that when we stand and sing here in a moment, before you sing, or even as you're singing, you can say a prayer to the Lord. Or you can come forward and let us know. Because we, as your family here at Jefferson Avenue, we want to love you, we want to support you, we want to help you figure it out. What's the next step? If you're not a Christian, what's the next step if you are a Christian? The next step is always a step closer to Jesus. And if you want to do that, we want to help you. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.